And because he does have everything in his hand, look with us to our passage from the book of Matthew, chapter 6. As we begin reading with verse 31. While you're turning there, this ends the series on principles to live by. We've been looking at principles I believe every Christian should live by, and I hope you go back and reflect upon them. Also, next Sunday will technically be my last full sermon on Sunday morning. Uh, So next Sunday, I hope you'll be back, uh, because last Sunday we'll be doing the Lord's uh, Supper, and we'll be doing like we always do it, but next Sunday will be the last uh, morning sermon, so I hope you'll be here. And uh, it's going to be hard for me to preach this morning. You need to understand that this is very difficult for me to preach. Uh, not because of that, but someone put fudge up here. <clears throat> I know who did it, and uh, I'm upset and happy at the same time. So I haven't figured that one out. But <clears throat> and I'll put that in my pocket before I leave here, because I know y'all. So anyway... So we're looking at these principles that we need, need to live by. Next Sunday, the last morning sermon, we're going to be talking about transition, and I hope you come back next Sunday. And then the last Sunday, uh, we'll be doing the Lord's Supper. I'll still be here on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights, but just give you a heads up on that. Jesus is preaching the greatest sermon ever preached called the Sermon on the Mount. As he is preaching, he says this in verse 31. Do not worry then, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Pray with me. Our Father in heaven, we pray today as we open your word. Father, if we look at this passage that we'll understand it. And then, Father, we'll follow it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. His story is one of struggle, sacrifice, and survival. In some ways, his life was a paradox. He translated the complete Bible into six languages. He translated portions of it in 29 other different languages. And yet he never finished the equivalent of a high school. Brown University in 1807 converted him to Doctor of Divinity because of his work, not because of classwork. By the age of 12, he taught himself Latin. He mastered Greek and Hebrew, French and Dutch. He learned many other dialects while he was in India. And yet his English was so poor, his spelling and punctuation so bad, that his chief supporter wrote him a letter and said, I never knew a person of so much knowledge as you profess in other languages could write English so bad. His name was William Carey the father of modern missions. Carrie, one of my heroes, was born August 17, 1761, in a poor home in the middle of an obscure village in England. He studied the Bible as he was working as a cobbler and had maps around the, around the place so he could pray for the different countries, praying that one day the gospel would go to those countries. 
William Carey once said he only mastered one skill. Everything he did, he said, I only have one skill I can hold on to, and that is my ability to plod. He said, I can plod. He said, quote, I can persevere in any definite pursuit. To this end, I owe everything. You see, the idea of plodding is the idea that you will move one step at a time and not stop. Even if they're small steps, nothing is going to stop you. He said, I can plod. In 1785, he was invited to become the pastor of a small Baptist church. He sought ordination, but they turned him down. Two years later, he continued to plod, and two years later, he was ordained. 1793, he was called to the mission field to India. His response, his father told him he was mad. The church said, no, we're not going to sponsor you. His wife, who was five months pregnant at the time, refused to go. There was no money available. There was no place in India that would even accept him. His response, well, he continued to plod and move ahead. On the way, he was ejected by the, from the ship. He went through a violent storm. He faced many problems even trying to land in India. Once he arrived in India, his partner abandoned him. And during that same time, his oldest son, Felix, almost died. So what did he do? He plod, continued. In fact, he went deeper into the continent. In 1812, a fire destroyed all of his work. Carry his entire library, everything that he had translated, because he was translating in, in dictionaries. And so the uh, Sanskrit dictionary, the Bengal dictionary, two grammar books, ten translations of the Bible were gone. All the uh, printing, the typeset for printing of four different lang- 14 different languages gone. His, his uh, paper and dictionaries, deeds and account, all of it's gone. He lost everything in 1812. So what does he do? He continued to plod. He served seven years on the mission field without seeing one convert. What does he do? He continued to plod. During those days, the average Englishman who lived in India only lived for six months. William Carey lived there for 41 years. What was his secret? Well, he said his secret was I could plod. But I submit to you there was another secret. If you read his life, you read his work, there was another secret of his, and that was he continually sought the kingdom of God. Throughout his life, that was his passion, his priority. I'm going to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's how he could continue on with all the different problems he was facing. I will continue to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now, you see, we all seek something. We are constantly seeking. We are seeking people by nature. Some people, they seek money. Some people seek fame. Some uh, people seek fortune. Some seek pleasure. Some seek self-validation. Some seek a husband. Some seek a wife. Some seek a good job. Whatever it may be, we are always looking, seeking for something. The question is, and there's nothing wrong with seeking because that's who we are. The question is, are we seeking something that will bring satisfaction? And there's only one thing that can bring satisfaction. Only one thing. So the question today for you is, is not what are you, I mean, is not are you seeking? The question is what are you seeking and is it worth it? In that context, Jesus is talking to the disciples. He is telling them how to become a disciple. And in this portion of that sermon, he's talking about worry. Did you notice as he was talking about worry in verse 31? Do not worry. He wants them to understand that they are not to worry about anything. He said, here's how you stop your worry. You change your devotion. You change how you think, and you eliminate worry. 
And so in this context about not worrying, he said, you need to do this in verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Jesus said, the way to eliminate worry in your life, you must remove your wrong thinking and then remove your wrong priority. So this morning, we're looking at this last principle in this series, and here's the principle. The principle of first things means our lives will be dictated by our priority. Therefore, we need God to be our priority every day. That's the principle. The principle of first things. Our lives will be dictated by our priority. That's a simple statement. And not only that, therefore, we need God to be our priority every day. So with that in mind, I want to look at this text, and really just notice two action steps that Jesus gives to us, this idea of priority. The first action step is this, make God your priority. It's pretty simple. Make God your priority. Now, the word priority, by definition, is singular. I mean, it means the thing prior, the thing prior to all other things. And by the way, in English language, when we st- this word came in, into being in 1400, it was singular. And un- until 1940, all the writings, every time you see the word priority in the English language, it is singular. In the 1940s, time management experts said, we need to make this a plural word. And now you have priorities. You have priorities at work. You have priorities at home. You have priorities at finance. You have priorities in your religion. You have priorities. Well, that's impossible. Because the word priority means singular. And so through the years, people have developed this, and now you have the priority of the coding system. You have your A priority, your B priority, and your C priority. It's impossible. You only have one priority. You might have many different goals, but you can only have one priority. It is impossible to direct your attention to more than two things at one time. This, this idea of multitasking, that really doesn't exist. What you do is rapid tasking. You're going from one thing to the other, but you're not focusing on many different things. You can only focus on one thing at a time. And so we have a priority, not priorities. Again, you can have multiple goals. You have many tasks that you need to accomplish in the day, but you only have one priority. You only have one priority in life. And by the way, if you disagree with me, here's here's how I'll respond. If If you have two priorities and they conflict, you're going to choose one. You have to. You can't have more than one priority. Jesus said, you need a priority, and the priority is God. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Jesus says, with all the demands in life, with all the pressures and worries that we face, with all the decisions that we need to make daily, our number one priority is seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Jesus is saying we need to quit worrying. We need to quit trusting in ourselves. We need to quit trusting in our abilities and our talents and start trusting him and trusting his will. That's what he's saying. Now, that word seek first and that phrase seek first, it means to actively looking for something. It means have that diligent approach to finding something. Not only that, in the Greek language, it's in the present tense. All that means is this is something you do for the rest of your life. If you are here today and you are a believer, you're still seeking every single day God's kingdom and his righteousness. Even if you're saved, you're still seeking every single day. That's what Jesus is saying. This is not a one-time deal. God is your priority, but then you'll spend the rest of your life seeking his priority, seeking his kingdom and his righteousness. 
The idea is that you get so desperate, you're looking for something. You're turning everything upside down to find it. That's what that word means. Now, most of us are as close to God as we really want to be. Now, a lot of people don't like that, but it's true. Abraham Lincoln once said, most people are about as happy as they want to be. Well, most people are as close to God as they want to be. You doubt it? You see, if you really want it, you're going to have a closer walk with God. The question is, do you really want it? Are you really desiring it? Are you willing to do whatever it takes? Jesus says, our priority is God. So what does that mean? By seeking him. How can we seek him? Jesus gives us two ways here. Our priority is God. He said we need to seek God. He says there are two ways we can do this. First, by seeking God's kingdom. That's what he says. Now, listen, I know this is obvious, but that's who I am. You can't seek a kingdom unless you're seeking a king. There is no kingdom without a king. We must seek the king of the kingdom first to find the kingdom. We must seek the king. If you're going to find the kingdom, you've got to seek the king. James writes in James chapter 4, verse 8, he says, You draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. As you seek God, he will come closer to you. As you are seeking him, he will be there. Isaiah, uh, Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 29, verse 13, he says, You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. The Bible says when you seek God, you'll find him. As we're seeking the king, we'll find him. So we are to seek God, but Jesus says something a little, add something extra here. He says, seek first the kingdom of God. That's the priority. We are to seek first God and his kingdom. That should be our first priority. Listen, Jesus doesn't want a place in your life. Jesus doesn't even want uh, prominence in your life. What Jesus wants is preeminence in your life. That's what he wants. Jesus wants the moment of every day, first of every day. He wants the first day of the week in your life. He wants the first part of your paycheck. Jesus wants to be first in everything in your life. Jesus is not interested in being the runner-up in your contest. Jesus is not interested in being the vice president of your corporation. He is not interested in being second command of your army. He's not interested in being co-partner in a duplex. He wants to be the throne on the throne of your heart. He wants to be first. But as we're seeking the king, we're to be seeking the kingdom. Now, that word kingdom doesn't merely mean territory. It means the rule and the uh, dominion of the king. Here's what he's saying. When you seek the kingdom of God, you're saying that the kingdom of God rules everything in your life. When you seek the kingdom of God, you're saying every area of my life, my, my finances, my, my health, my relationships, my work, whatever it is, God's kingdom is ruling in that area. That's what he's saying. Seek first the kingdom. You seek God and then the kingdom. Every area of your life, he wants preeminence in that life. He said, I want you to seek me, seek my kingdom. We are seeking his kingdom. That's where God will rule. God wants to rule in every area of your life. And so we just need to examine our life. Is God reigning there? And when you're seeking his kingdom, automatically you're seeking for two things. Number one, you're seeking for his glory. That's what you're doing. As we're seeking God's kingdom, we're looking for God's glory in our lives. Is God getting the glory? 
every part, every parcel of your life, every minute and every moment of your life, every ounce and every pound of your strength, every muscle and every fiber of your body ought to be giving glory to God. As you're looking at your life, you should say, is God getting glory for everything? That's why Paul writes in, in, in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse, 13, or verse 31, he says, therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do for the glory of God. The Bible says everything we do should bring glory to God. That's looking and seeking, finding his kingdom. To seek God's kingdom is making him known, making him glorify, and honoring him as the priority of our lives. And so we need to understand this. As you are doing this, this, we're looking for his glory. But also, you're looking for his way and his will. He's the king. You know, in, in the old days, in, in Jesus' day, a loyal subject wanted to do whatever the king wanted him to do. A loyal subject would say, I wonder what the king would want me to do today, and he would do it. I wonder how he would do it. So he's looking for the way of the king and the will of the king. And there's no higher calling in life than to find out what your king wants you to do and do it. Every morning of our lives, we should be asking that question, Lord, just like Paul asked, Lord, what would you have me to do? We're to seek the kingdom of God. We're to seek his will and his way and give him glory. He says, seek the kingdom of God. But he also says, as you're putting God as your priority, you're to seek his righteousness. Did you notice that? Not only are we to seek God's kingdom, we're to seek his righteousness. Now, I want you to notice, he doesn't say seek your righteousness. He says seek God's righteousness. You know what he's saying? As we're coming to God, we've messed up, okay? We're sinners. We get Jesus' righteousness on us. That's what he's saying. We're to seek his righteousness for us. You see, a lot of people think it's their right. No, it's not. We can't even stand before God. You see, we must have that imputed righteousness. That's what the Bible talks about, the imputed righteousness of Jesus upon us. I think if we understood the term wine, then maybe we might go a little further than this. But here's what Jesus is saying. You seek his kingdom and his righteousness. Not your righteousness, but his righteousness. Why should you do this? Therefore, God can bless you. That's what Jesus is saying. This is an incredible little promise in verse 33. He said, as you're seeking the kingdom and his righteousness, he says, so God can bless you. And that leads to the second action statement. We need to accept God's provision. We need to accept God's provision. Look what he says. Again, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Jesus is saying, I assure you, I will provide everything you need. Now, what is he talking about, everything? Well, everything he just talked about. You go, you go back and look at the, this chapter, you see in, in verse 19, he talked about finances. He said, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. In, in verse 25, he, he's talking about food. He, he says, do not worry about your life, what you shall eat or drink. In, in, in verse 27, he's talking about fitness. Uh, which one of you can add a single hour to your life? In, in verse 28, he talks about fashion and why you worry about clothing. Jesus is looking at this list and saying, look, if you seek my kingdom, all those things will be added to you. If you seek me, if you seek my kingdom, all these things will be added. Are they bad things? Absolutely not. 
In fact, in verse 32, he said, all these things the Gentiles seek. And then he said, your heavenly father knows you need them. So Jesus has given us this incredible promise. If you seek my kingdom and you seek my righteousness, everything you need to do your work, to do God's glory will be given to you. If you're seeking the kingdom of God, you will, whatever you need, God says, I will supply. Now, listen, I didn't say everything you want, okay? He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, I'll meet, I'll meet your greeds. He said, I'll meet your needs. Big, big difference. Because sometimes God knows what's best for us, believe it or not. And so what happens, he will give us something. And we say, I don't know why you're doing it. And then all of a sudden, we realize why God did it. This is a poem in the 1800s from a soldier. He said, I asked God for strength that I might achieve. I was made weak that I might learn humbly to obey. I asked God for health that I might do greater things. I was given infirmity that I might do better things. I asked for riches that I might be happy. I was given poverty that I might be wise. I asked for power that I might have the praise of men. I was given weakness that I might feel the need of God. I asked for all things that I might enjoy life. I was given life that I may enjoy all things. I got nothing that I asked for, but everything I'd hoped for. Almost despite myself, my unspoken prayers were, uh, were answered. I am among all men most richly blessed. Jesus says, when you seek my kingdom, when you seek my righteousness, I will give you everything you need to achieve my will. You see, here's the principle. We serve God, and his job is to supply us. Let me say it again. We serve God. His job is to supply us. A lot of people have it backwards. They, they, they think it's, now our job is to supply God, and God serve us. No. You serve God. He will supply what you need to do his will. By the way, there are many ways God does this. Maybe one of the best ways, he, he expands the capacity for us to do more things. Now, there, there's an example many of you have heard. Most of you may have heard the story of the, the jar and the rocks, time management principle. This time management executive was, was talking to some, uh, a group of executives, and he placed a, lar- a large, clear, open-mouthed jar in front of the group, and he poured in some rocks, big rocks. He said, is it full? And they said, oh, yeah, it's full. You can't get anything else in there. Then he took a, a bag of small pebbles and poured it in there. He said, is it full? They said, yeah, you can't get anything else in there. And then he took some sand and poured it in there. He said, is it full? They said, oh, yeah, you can't get anything else in there. Then he took some water and poured the water to the top. He said, what have you learned? And someone said, well, no matter how busy you are, you can always fit one more thing into your schedule. He said, no, no, no. That's not what you've learned. You put the big rocks in first or they will never fit in. You must figure out what the big rocks are for your life and put them in your life. Then you can do other things. Spiritually, Jesus says, when you put me first, I will give you the capacity to do many more things. You put me first, I will expand things for you. You'll have enough time. You'll have enough resources. You'll have enough energy to do my will. It is a promise of God. If God is first in your life and you give him the first thing, he said, I will bless you all through the bible from genesis all the way to the revelation there's a principle of this first thing 
Go back, do a Bible study, just first things. For example, the, the, remember the firstborn? The firstborn must be sacrificed to redeem. We find that in the book of Exodus. God told the people that the firstborn among the clean animals had to be sacrificed, but the firstborn among the unclean animals had to be redeemed. By the way, later on, our Lord Jesus had to be clean and was sacrificed. I mean, was clean and still had to be sacrificed. But it's the principle of the firstborn. You had to do something with the firstborn. Remember the plagues in Egypt? What was the plague that changed everything? The death of the firstborn. It's a principle, the firstborn, the first. Remember the principle of the first fruit? First fruit must be offered. What we read just a few moments ago in the book of Proverbs, he said, honor the Lord with your possessions and with your first fruit of your increase. God said, I want the first of what you have. God said, give me the first of everything and I will bless you. What about the principle of the tithe? We're to give the first God, the first part of our money. Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house, thereby put to me to test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down you a blessing until there is more need. Tithe is 10%. He said, bring it to the storehouse. By the way, he doesn't say give it. You know why he never says give your tithe? It doesn't belong to us. We bring it. It belongs to him. But the principle's there. We are to bring it first. Remember the story in the book of Joshua? Uh, Joshua told them that you are to bring all the silver and gold from Jericho. And there was one man named Achan who, who decided, well, I'll, I'll just keep some of the gold and the silver. Remember what happened? They lost in the next battle until they brought it to, the, to God. Why? Because they didn't bring it. They didn't bring the first fruit. Uh, we see this principle over and over and over again. Genesis chapter 4, uh, Cain and Abel. The reason Abel offering was from the firstborn of the flock. However, Cain offering was not from the first fruit. Now, I know some people say, well, he accepted Abel because it was blood. Go back and look at the text. The emphasis was on first. first. He brought the firstborn. Cain just brought some fruit. God said, I will only take the first. We are to give God the first, the first of our money, the first of our time, the first of our mornings, the first of our energy, the first day of the week. God says, I want you to give me the first. That's our priority. God says, give me your priority. You seek my kingdom and my righteousness first. Isn't it amazing? Why is it? We have to find time for God, but we have time for everything else. You ever thought about that? Why is it I got to find time for God? We have time for everything else we're devoted to. I promise you, I have never in my life had to make time to watch Alabama football. It's just a miracle. I will never have to make time. What you love, what you're devoted to, you have time. When we say, I have to make time for God, what we're saying is, he's not first in my life. And God says, I cannot be second in your life. God says, I will not allow to be second in your life. I will be first in your life or you have dishonored me. Whenever we put anything before God, our jobs, our health, our money, our possessions, we are saying to God, you're not worthy to us. And the Bible says, whenever we put something before God, that is our idol. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness.
There's a story in the book of Luke, chapter 10, about Mary and Martha. Beginning verse 38, let me just read you the story. Now, as they went their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Jesus is Martha's house, and Martha is doing everything she could to serve Jesus, getting everything ready for Jesus. She's working hard for Jesus. Mary, her sister, instead of helping Martha serve Jesus, Mary is at the feet of Jesus listening. She's at the feet of Jesus worshiping. There's Martha. She is working, working. She can, she can matter and matter, looking at this. And finally she said, hey, Jesus, could you tell my sister to help me? I, I'm working here, and she's just listening to you. And Jesus chastises Martha. He said, Martha, you are anxious and you're troubled about many, many different things. But only one thing is necessary. There's only one priority. Mary has chosen it. The priority is me. And that will not be taken away from her. That time she's spending with me, she will always remember. You see, Martha was so concerned about what she thought was important and what she thought she could control. And while she was busy for Jesus, Jesus was not her priority. Whereas Mary was consumed with having Jesus as her first priority. And Mary received the promise. It will not be taken away from her. Please understand this morning. Having Jesus as your priority first isn't about doing things for him. It's about being with him. About enjoying him. About loving him. By glorifying him. And Jesus said, that is our priority. See, God and his kingdom and his righteousness. What about you this morning? Have you sought God's kingdom and his righteousness? For some, you may be here this morning, you may be watching online, you've never given your life to Christ. Maybe you're seeking something and you haven't found it because you haven't found Christ. Today's the day you need to give your life to Jesus. By admitting that you're a sinner, saying, God, I know I'm a sinner, I cannot save myself. And I believe that Jesus died for me 2,000 years ago on that cross. And I need his righteousness on me. He died on the cross. He was buried. And the third day he arose. And I confess, I choose to serve him. I choose to follow him in every area of my life. If you made that decision online, if you would text the word today at 270-398-5005. And a minister will give you a call today. But if you're here this morning, you've never made that decision. Will you make it this morning? As we begin singing in a few moments, if you just come to the front, talk to me or one of the ministers. Maybe your decision this morning is to join this church or in this fellowship. Maybe God is calling you to the mission field. Maybe God's calling you in the ministry. Maybe God is just calling you because you've never given your life to Christ. Whatever decision you need to make, ask this question. 
Am I seeking God's kingdom and his righteousness? And follow that. Would you stand and bow your heads? Father in heaven, we do get busy. Father, we do get sidetracked. And then one day we realize that we haven't been seeking your kingdom or your righteousness. But Father, we thank you that you're a gracious Father and gracious God. And and Father, you're there for us. And Father, for that person who's been seeking answers, Father, that person who's seeking what's the best of life, Father, let them today find it. And his name is Jesus. Father, I pray for those watching online. Father, I'm praying for those who are here today. Father, let this day not pass without them giving their life to you in a personal way in Jesus Christ. Father, speak to us now as we go in this time of invitation, a time of opportunity, that, Father, we'll seek you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.